went on a trip um, in March, really short notice. But if you have a passport and you feel like you really want to leave the country and go do ministry with kids, we're going on a trip um, in the middle of March, so we'd love to have you. Um, but we go twice a year, so there's always an opportunity to go and serve. Um, yeah, and just really pray for the kids, pray for their families. Um, it's a really amazing way to get the gospel into homes. This I love it. Taking, taking the gospel to their families. So just pray for us. So I hope you heard that. You have an opportunity, and everybody can do this. Everybody can pray. Some can give, and some can go. And in all these right here, we need to be a part of this right here because these are kids that may not hear the gospel without this. I love it, Courtney. Thank you so much. Appreciate your family. Courtney is going to be available back in the back at the end of the service. And uh, you can... Thank you. All right, so... If you thought that was the end, you're going to be disappointed because um, we just found out like this last week that, man, for the first time in three years, we're going to be able to put, quote unquote, boots on the ground in a most incredible place to be able to go and share the gospel. My heart and my passion is for people to know Christ. But this is where it kind of goes to next level for me. One of the reasons I love being a part of the Deaf Corner Nia and having the Deaf Corner Nia being a part of the Grove is because less than 2% of the people who are deaf in the state of Alabama know Christ. I want to be a part of making sure those people know Christ. Now, you have an opportunity, and, and it's so fresh, I've got to look at my spot. About three years ago, I went to the Lakota Indian Reservation in South Dakota, in the Badlands of South Dakota. Been trying to get back there ever since. The door just opened. I could not have run into this more times this year, but it has happened over and over and over again, running into the leaders from this Indian tribe. It is another group, less than 2% have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. A huge tribe in Southwest South Dakota. And you have an opportunity to be a part of this. It's already on the calendar, the calendar date is uh, June 22 through 28 of this year. So we're about four and a half, five months out right now. Um, and it's a big ask, okay? We're going to a place, the, the camp is actually called Chankawaste. You're gonna see that right there, Chankawaste. Um, there is an interest group, if you are interested in being a part of this, um, interest meeting on February 21 at 7.15. Um, and that'll be right here in this building. You'll, you'll uh, see signs and stuff that are pointing you towards it. Now, who's invited to this? Well, it is a family-friendly camp, which is kind of interesting. We'll tell you all about that. But here's the special thing and the unique thing that makes it a big deal for the Grove. There's four or 500 people at the Grove all total. If you count us all here at one time, there's four or 500 of us here. We need 30 leaders. We need 30 adults. Because we run this camp while we're there under the supervision of leaders that are already there. Uh, and it's kind of like a VBS. We do games, but we also do food. We teach the Bible. We do outside stuff with them. We do inside stuff with them. We sing with them. And you might have gifts and abilities or willingness to go and do and be a part of this this summer. We'll have pricing and all that kind of stuff taken care of. But the basic thing that we're going to be doing is just getting out there physically like flying out there in June. So interest meeting is coming up. I want you to be praying for Chankawaste and the Lakota Indians. I want you to be praying for what's going on in South Africa with Hidden Place. God's given us two amazing things to be a part of. And honestly, 
I cannot wait. And I hope that you are on that train as well. Matter of fact, I want to stop for one more second. I want to pray for these two things. And then we're going to dig into the word and just see what he wants to do in our life this morning. So, Father, across this room, uh, as those who are listening and watching online, um, I know that you've got something you want to do in our lives. You do not want us to walk away from this place exactly like we walk in. You, you have changes that you want to make in us. And so, God, I pray that you give us a freedom. I pray the conviction of your Holy Spirit. And Father, for the hidden place. It's not so hidden anymore, but it's a place where kids can come and find you. And then carry you back to their homes. I pray for Courtney. I pray for Grant, I pray for this incredible ministry, all the ministers that are back there in South Africa, God, that you would just keep opening eyes, that the darkness would be dispelled and the light would shine. And God, for the Lakota Indians, that we have this opportunity to go and to hang out with these children and these teenagers up to 17 years old and just pour the love of Jesus in them to help them see that you love them so much. And we would never get over that. And then they would never get over that. We need you. Speak to us through your word, through the mighty power of your word. We pray this in the holy name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right. So we have been talking about so much stuff about um, first things. We're getting really close to the end of this one, and some of you are like, woo and some of you are like, oh, man, I really like that. But here's what I want to happen in your life today. I want you to see, I want you to realize this. In the beginning, God created. And I don't, remember, I don't know if you recall what, like, the very first thing that he did, but he said some words, and he said, let there be light. And it was, and you know what happened when the light came? Darkness was expelled. Darkness was uncovered. And he created his perfect design there. And that's all great and good until we get into it. And it didn't take us but three chapters of Genesis to get there. Till the real us was exposed. When we decided to do things our own way, we look at it in Adam and Eve, but it is a real thing that happened. But I think about some of the things we've been talking about, and we just talked about one of them again. We've got to be praying for God's church. That light would shine, that people would know the love of God and know his power, and that it would happen for the person that's sitting beside you and behind you in front of you, the one that's sitting beside you as you're watching online, the one that you're going to go to school with, the one that you're going to go to work with, the one that you're going to see in the parking lot as you go to eat in a little bit, that the light of Christ would shine, that we would realize that that we have to live out the truth it's that because we're part of something that's so much bigger. We are one. We are unified in the body of Christ. And then I came up with this really strange acronym a couple of weeks ago that was RUM. And it's realizing what your gift is, utilizing your gift, and then figuring out how to manage those so we don't make so many mistakes. Minimize your mistakes. And then Drew comes in last week and just kind of lays it on us. And helps us to understand that um, we don't need to have this mistaken identity. People need to know who we really are. Honestly, it boils down to they need to see the light of Christ in us and nothing else. So today, we're going to walk through what 
it looks like to move from living in darkness to living in light. And I'm just going to go ahead and go here and free you up. This wasn't made up for you today from my office to hurt your feelings. Paul wrote this under the leadership of the Holy Spirit uh, about 2,000 years ago, and he is so blunt. I'm just telling you, there are painful parts in here, but I want you to hear there's redemption at the end of it. So hear it and then receive what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. So here we go. Uh, we got to back up to go forward. So Drew challenged us this last week. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 uh, and 25 and following in that, he challenged us to live a life of true, genuine repentance. And here's what that looked like. It basically meant to stop lying and start telling the truth. So take what was dark and use that tongue for something that is light. And then he talked about this one, to put a lid on your anger. So stop being angry about everything and find the joy that God has offered in your life. So it's darkness again to light. And then he said, stop stealing because stealing will never be okay. Instead, work really, really hard. And then because you're so blessed and you realize that you didn't really get any of it, but God gave it to you, you actually help people out who are in need. So instead of taking it, you're giving it away. So it's completely opposite. So going from darkness into light. And then he says, watch your tongue. And it's one thing to talk about what the bad things that are coming out of our mouth. But then there's these things where we like, I'm not talking about cussing people, but we curse people. We throw things on people to purposely hurt them, tear them down. Because somehow in that, it makes us feel better for a second. And he says, take that, take your tongue and use it to build somebody up in a right, true way. Take that and give grace like you have already been given grace. Use your words because your words are powerful, so use them well. So he says, don't do these things. This is not the way that God created you to live. <clears throat> a verse that he didn't just scan over, but he didn't have time to dig into it last week was Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. That's where we're going to start off. So go there if you're not already there. So you'll see it up on the screen, but I hope you'll pull it out and read it from your own word. Right there where you are, I need to get to Ephesians myself. Right here, Ephesians, Philippians, there we go. So Ephesians chapter 4 and beginning in verse 30, it says this, and he says, and do not grieve God's Holy Spirit do not grieve God's Holy Spirit for you were sealed by him for the day of redemption what is that so he said don't do this do this don't do this do this don't do this do this and then he says and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit Here's why we can't do those things. Because if you know Christ, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you do those things, guess what you do? You grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? I think we need to be super clear here just to make sure we understand this. Paul is talking to people who are followers of Christ. Paul is talking to believers in this spot. He's talking to people that would, without a shadow of a doubt, say, I am a Christian I have put my faith in Christ. I have been born again. 
All the way back to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. You don't have to go there, but he reminds us that faith or trusting in Christ or by that, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, it's a permanent seal. That if he comes, if you are baptized by the Holy Spirit, then you have Christ in your life. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. But if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Christ and you do sin, which, I mean, is there anybody here who hasn't sinned sometime this week? No, there's not. All of us have in some way, shape, form, or fashion. But when we do that, we hurt the very heart of God. We, we cause grief to the Holy Spirit. I love having conversations with Drew Hogan because sometimes he points out stuff that I didn't see and he shared this one with me, so props to him with a conversation we had the other day. But when we were looking through this, the grief of the Holy Spirit, what is that? Where does that come from? Because something he said led me to this. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's been betrayed. He's crying out to his Father. It's like he doesn't even know what to do with it, and it hurts so bad. Matter of fact, we're told that what's happening there is he actually is sweating, and he's sweating drops of blood, which is actually a physical thing that happens when the anguish and the hurt and the pain, that we're not talking about physical pain. We're talking about emotional pain. And it hurts so bad, it caused him to bleed. Guess what the word that Jesus uses there? I am grieved which is exactly the same word that Paul uses here that says, but do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So guess what? Even the smallest sin in our life actually does to the very heart of God. It breaks his heart. It hurts him because he loves you so much and he knows what is best for you and he knows what is best for me, but we hurt him. But there is great news. And it comes right on the coattails of this with uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. So, and if you've got your outlines, which if you signed in like Drew asked you to a minute ago, you've got it. But here's what it says. You can, turn sorrow to joy, you can turn sorrow to joy when you turn away from the things that break God's heart. So you can take the things that are causing pain to him and causing hurt to you and separation for you from God. And when you turn that because of repentance... You cause joy to him, but you also build joy back in you. Here's what happens. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you. Now, you can't do that, but he can, along with all malice. You can't remove that, but God can. Verse 32. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Hmm. So it went from us doing something wrong to God doing something right with us for us realizing we were doing something wrong, realizing that Christ had already forgiven us so that, so that we can have joy again and so that we can stop grieving God's Spirit. Then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, be kind and compassionate, forgive each other. You are living proof. I am living proof of one who has experienced the forgiveness of God and he is saying, you've been given it, now give it away. You've taken it, you've received it, now give it away. 
I don't care how bad it is. Remember how bad you were. And then give it away. So we pray to God with nothing but a desperate need, believing and knowing that he can provide the wisdom that only he can provide. And then he provides it. But there's an issue that we have to deal with here. We want God's wisdom. Right? In this kind of situation, when we realize we're making mistakes, when we don't know which way to go, we want his wisdom. So the Bible says to ask for wisdom. But the problem with asking for wisdom is that God gives wisdom. And the problem for us when God gives us wisdom is we still have to choose his way. We still have to choose his wisdom. I mean, who was the wisest man of all? I'm sorry, who was that? Solomon. And he asked for wisdom. He was given wisdom, like more than anybody else in all history. And then he had a choice to make. To use it or not. What was his downfall? Hmm. Sin, women. It was. He did not choose wisdom. He did not choose the very wisdom that God gave him. And it ended up in bad choices. So in the end, he didn't use what was given. And so it led to bad choices. So here's God's clear call for our lives as followers of Christ. Remember in the New Testament, just like the Old Testament, when you see something that says Ephesians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 6, those weren't originally there. It was just a letter written all the way through. It might have had a break in it, but there was no numbers, there was no verses, anything like that. So we're going straight from chapter 4 where just two verses ago, he said, but do not grieve the Holy Spirit because you've been sealed by the Spirit, because you've already been sealed by the Spirit. Don't grieve. And then you get to Ephesians chapter 5 and the first verse. He says, therefore, therefore be imitators of God. The word is mimic. Mimic God. Look like God. Be an imitator of God. As dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a, sacrifice, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. And then verse 3. I don't like it when Paul gets real specific, but we need it. He says, but sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you. That's those who are sealed by the Holy Spirit that know Christ, it shouldn't even be heard among you as is proper for the saints. Verse 4, obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who isn't an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. So he was talking to believers and he was challenging them not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now listen, if you don't listen close over the next like three or four minutes, you're going to be really confused trying to figure this out when you leave. I'm going to try to make it as clear as possible for you. He says, imitate God. From the end of chapter 4, he's saying this is how you are to walk. This is like part 2 
of this is how you are to walk. Walk like you actually belong to him because you do belong to him. So walk like that. Walk in love, sacrificing for others. Why? You do that because you want people to, as James says, see your good works. They want them to see your good works because of what God has already done in your life and then glorify God who is in heaven. It's, it's about glorifying him. So they want what you have. And secondly, you want to encourage those who already have a relationship with Jesus to walk that way as well. Growing in their faith, glorifying God, going and taking the gospel to others. So the next question that comes to my mind, why these three sins? Why does, why does he pull out these three sins of everything else? Because he's already listed these whole things as you're going through chapter 4. But then he pours out sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. Foolish talk. Now let's just be super clear here. This doesn't exclude the things that he talked about that we should not be doing in chapter 4. He's actually adding to them. So it's not taking away, it's not bigger, it's not, they're equally as evil. Because how many sins, how big does a sin have to be in order to separate us from God and put Christ on the cross? It's just one. It doesn't matter how small it is, it separates us from a holy God. Now, let's clarify on this. What are these three and why are they such a big deal? Let's walk through it just a second. All right, good, I've got three and a half minutes. I think we can do it. I told the worship team that I had about 70 minutes worth of stuff to share with you this morning. and I only got 30, so that's a little bit of a problem. We're going to be through in just a minute. I want you to hear this, though. Sexual immorality, what is it? The Greek word, some of you probably already know this, the word pornea. Boy, that sounds familiar. I hear that in this society somewhere. And just to be clear, it's a lot more than what you're thinking right now. Sexual immorality is all kinds of sex outside of marriage. Fornication, which is sex when you are not married. Adultery is sex outside of your marriage when you are married. It also includes homosexuality. It also includes prostitution. And just to clarify, Jesus said it also includes the lust of the heart because that's where the sin begins. And also to be really, really clear, one of those things might be where this very word comes from. I don't even have to say might be. It 100% is. Pornography. For the ladies, men's, kids, everybody else in this room. Yeah, that's the lust of the heart. And there's probably not many of us in this room that hadn't walked down that road to some degree. But it's sin. That is sexual immorality. Impurity. It's funny how these things kind of all blend together. Blend together. These are the things that pollute our hearts and our minds. There are things that cause guilt. There are things that cause shame. There are things that, that uh, might cause a habitual sin or become a habitual sin. Uh, there are obsessions, there are addictions. Um, think things that lead to a life that is out of control, that has nothing to do with Jesus. That's impurity. And there's a million of them. And our world wants to sell you one more. Matter of fact, that game you are talking about when the Braves are playing this afternoon. No, I'm just kidding. I know there's a real game this afternoon. They'll be trying to sell you stuff that will take you down these roads. 100%. And they will pay millions of dollars to get you into the habit of it because if you get into the habit of it, they get to put something in their pocket and take it home called money. 
Don't miss it. Just don't, don't, don't miss what's going on there because it kind of leads to the last thing here, greed. <laughs> we usually think money and material things, and it's 100% included in this. Uh, but it's also the insatiable desire for things that bring us pleasure, like sexual immorality, like impurity. It's all of those things. So greed is anything that can become our idol. Now, what's an idol? An idol is anything that takes the place of God. Matter of fact, it becomes your God. So this is not about a mistake we make. It's not a one-time event. It's not even something that might happen a time or two or a few times in our life. This is about a life that we live, and that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about this is who you have become. It's not something that you're trying to get rid of. It's something you've just given into and you're just going on with. That is what he is specifically talking about. He's talking about deliberate, perpetual, shameless choices that we absolutely 100% refuse to change. I can't. Or I won't. Or I will later. He says the one who is an idolater, it means this is what you live for, sex, greed, impurity. This is the person that doesn't worship God. Uh, they worship their sin, so they clearly don't know God or possess his eternal life. Let's take one more step back. The end of chapter 4, Paul said, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, for you have been sealed by his Holy Spirit. But then he says in chapter 5 that you have to know this, that sexual immorality, impurity, greedy person will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is this? How does it go from once just grieving and causing pain to the one that you don't belong there and you won't inherit the kingdom of God? What is that? Here's the deal. If you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. If you live this life, if it is your life, it is the opposite of what he created us for. It hurts his heart. We grieve the Holy Spirit. So what about these people that he says don't inherit the kingdom of God? And there's only one explanation. They don't have the presence of the Holy Spirit. They don't have Jesus in their life. There's no conviction of it. They just keep living it. And the reality is, is we were probably all there at one time. It was who we were. Is your sin something you do or did, But you realize that you can't go there, that you can't stay there, that something has to change. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, repent and go back now. That's what he's saying. That's what grieving does. That's what we have to turn from. But if your sin is who you are, if it is your idol, then that thing is the Lord of your life and Jesus is not the Lord of your life. That desire is the Lord of your life and Jesus is not the Lord of your life. And Paul makes it clear you clearly don't know God. You don't inherit the kingdom of God. So here's the way this here closes out with a one sentence. If you make anything but God your God, he's not your God. If you make anything but God your God, he's not your God. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 6 and following says this, Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedience, 
on the disobedient uh, because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once, there it is, darkness. You were there. But now you were light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. And then he says, don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything is exposed by the light. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, it is said, get up, sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, what do we do with this? What's the takeaway? And there's one simple phrase that I want you to take away and get from this, and it's this. Be the light. That's what he says here, just so simple. Be the light. Don't be the darkness. Be the light. And here's what it looks like. If you know Jesus and his Holy Spirit and he's changed you, you are the light if you are in the Lord. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you, you are the light. You're reflecting the light of Christ. You are the example that God can take, and he can take what, what you once were, he can take the darkness that overshadowed you, and he's the one that can transform that darkness and make it light. And then he says that in that same thing that we're supposed to test everything. We are. We're supposed to test everything. Does it shine light or does it encourage darkness? What are my behaviors, my actions, my responses, my words, my thoughts? What are they pointing to? And then he kind of gets kind of just so blunt we have to listen He says, don't play with darkness. Don't flirt with it. Matter of fact, he says, expose it. In other words, let the light shine on it because what happens when the light shines on darkness? It's expelled from there. Be the light. The very last sentence there says, wake up, sleeper. Rise up from the dead. And Christ will give you light. I read this and I'm like, man, I got to go find out where this came from in the Old Testament because, man, that's got to be a good one. And there's some that kind of reflect to give a few little words here. But the best we can tell, getting from the best theologians I can find, is this. This was like a chorus or a poem or something that was sung in the early church, which means that it was made up sometime the time, from the time that Jesus died on the cross and he showed up at, with Paul. So it's just hadn't been there long at all. But it was so common that Paul knew that all knew about. Wake up, sleeper. Let God change you. Let him shine his light in and through you. Now, we talked about this, and our worship team is on their way up, and they're going to lead us in a song. But there's two different kinds of people we're talking about. And there's a real telltale sign in your life. I mean, do you truly experience conviction of sin? Does it happen in your life? And not by your power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are you able to, to turn that back so that it's not darkness shining but light? If that's you, that's, that's telling you there's a presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's working there. 
But if you can come in here and sing the songs that we just sang because you love singing, and then you can walk out of here and life is dark all week long. There's no light. There's no conviction. There's no struggle with any sin that you do. You just do what you want to because this is your life and you will do what you want to do. And Paul's saying, wake up. Wake up. Christ died on the cross for you. He offers forgiveness. He offers grace. He said, but it's too big. It's too much. It's too long. It's been too many years. And he says, no. If you'll give it to me, I got it. Because he's more than enough. And he can handle it. And he can change it. And he can take that. And he can nail it to the cross. To separate that sin as far as the east is from the west. That's what he wants to do in your life. So repent and trust God this day. I want you to stand where you are real quietly, please. Some of you are going to want to be on your knees before the Lord this morning. And that's where you need to be if that's where he is leading you right now. Some of you need somebody to pray with you. And I don't mean to put them on the spot. We've got two of our awesome leaders right up here up front. And I do know that Rosanna is one of our women leaders here at the Grove. would be more than willing to pray if some of you ladies need to pray. She'll be right here available. Drew's going to be down here. I'm going to be down here. Uh, Ryan's right here. I know he'd love to pray with you as well. If God's working on you like that, don't sit there and deal with it on your own. Start talking to Jesus. And if you need to talk to one of us, do it. If you need to get on your knees, get on your knees. Father, this is a point of surrender that we all have to make. Keep speaking. Keep convicting. Thank you that we feel like junk right now because things aren't right in our heart. But God, may we seek your forgiveness. May we run to you. And may you change our lives from the inside out. Give us boldness to do what we need to in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If God's speaking to you, come right now. Do not wait. Move to these altars as he's speaking to you right now.